Actually, yeah, I have a selfie of the two of us at a bar on one of the cruise to the edge. We were laughing at me drinking a white Russian. Did I do that? That's not yeah. what I would do. It was funny. You said, who do you think you are, the dude? And I couldn't stop <laughs> the laughing. Lebowski? Is that what I said? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big Lebowski reference. I couldn't stop laughing. Hey, Prog fans. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prog Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and as always, I am joined by... Lee. Craig. We are three friends and prog aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always unvarnished opinions of the music and the personalities that make this genre so great. You can find us on Twitter or X or X Twitter, whatever it is, and Instagram at UP3Show or on Mastodon at, at up3show on the mastodon.social server. You can also find us on our homepage at up3show.com, where you can find all of our back episodes, extra multimedia content, things like that. And if you'd like to reach out, you can contact us via email at up3show at gmail.com. If you just can't get enough of the show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever our podcast is collected for you, whether it's on our homepage at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Uh, giving us a nice like and subscribe there. Make sure that you never miss an episode and helps other prog fans find the show. Guys, we're here. It is season four. Season four. We did it. It's been a little while. Lee put out a bootleg a couple days ago and, and acknowledged that we missed our normal September 1, yep. but we had a very good reason. Some of us were knocking on death's door a little bit there. I hope you're feeling better, Lee. How are you feeling, Lee? Yeah, thank you. Feeling better now, but man, brought it home from a trip and COVID was nasty for two whole weeks. That's awful. Yeah, that sounds awful, dude. So why don't we start there, Lee? What were you up to over the yeah, summer? Yeah, besides COVID, a lot of family stuff going on, had some illness and things to do in my family. For most of the time, I was learning video editing and animation tools. I've been really focusing up on Adobe Premiere Pro and Adobe After Effects and really, really nice. enjoying that. Going to make some pretty big use of that here shortly. That's really cool. Yeah. Nice. How about you, Craig? Well, I had two big things I did this summer. I went to band camp. Yeah, that's right. I went to jazz camp with several adults that I play music with here in Denver Boulder area. We met some college students that also went to it. It was an all-ages thing. And we've since been mm -hmm. all jamming together on a very regular basis, and it really helped up-level our game. I met a ton of really great jazz people. And what I found out, I didn't realize it at the time, it was part of the Port Townsend Jazz Festival. So our little combo played a 30-minute set for the civilians of Port Townsend. Very cool. Nice. It was really cool. Uh, and I've also been climbing. So my wife and I joined a climbing gym. So I actually get exercise now. Oh, yeah. I remember you told us about cool. that. Yeah. It's super fun. And we went and we saw Dream Sonic this summer as a group. Yes. Oh, that's right. It's been a long time. And then Lee and I just went and saw Vola and Wheel and Bettany. Yes. And I definitely have some thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. But for me, over the summer, for a while, Craig and I were talking a lot about creative writing in the office. Mm-hmm. And so this summer I was getting back into creative writing a lot. And I think I finally found my voice in that it's in screenwriting and not in prose. 
which is what I thought it was going to be. It's fascinating. Good. So been working on that. I'm just playing around with it, just experimenting. I like learning new creative outlets. What genre are you writing for? That's a very good question, Craig. And I'm trying not to be a genre writer. Okay. Right now, I'm still trying to learn the craft because there is a hell of a lot more that goes into the craft. Absolutely. And I'm just fascinated by the craft of screenwriting. Mm -hmm. I've got some ideas. I've got a long form, maybe not feature length, but definitely longer short film length. Mm -hmm. And I've got a couple ideas for some TV pilots. Very cool. Even as we talk about here on the show, I tend to be more interested in the behind the scenes stuff, how the sausage gets made. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I'm really focusing on like, what does it take to be a writer? How do you structure? How do you solve plot issues? The science of the craft is very, very interesting to me. Got it. And then just listening to a bunch of music, which I want to dive into that. Lee, what have you been listening to this summer, man? I have been listening to a lot of jazz metal, or as I like to call it, jettle. <laughs> All summer long, just really wanted to dive into it. So Animals as Leaders, Outrun the Sunlight, Polyphia, Archeco, Scale the Summit, mm-hmm. Intervals, loving everything I'm listening to out of them. Awesome. So is that an actual genre? We're going to talk about that later in the season. That's one of the reasons why I really wanted to dive into it. That's cool. My assertion is, yes, it is a genre. Okay. Craig, what have you been listening to well, this summer? Well, come on. I mean... Country Western. <laughs> uh, Disco. I've been writing a square dance. No. <laughs> Just a boatload of jazz. The latest guy that I've really been getting into is a dude named Horace Silver. Okay. And he is a piano player, and he's got a bunch of songs that you know and you've heard. One we play a bunch. It's called Monin, and it's the song that goes. You've totally heard it. And he's played with the Jazz Messengers. He's played with Herbie. He's played with Stan Getz, but he's a piano player and he's got a style all his own. He's written a zillion standards. Just a lot of cool deep tracks and very accessible. Cool. Sorry, but that's that's the jazz version. Cool. We come here to talk about Prague, but each of us just have loves in other places. Mm-hmm. You can't just pretend that that doesn't exist, right? Yeah, exactly. I was in San Jose last week, and the only time I could get to Rasputin Records was like an hour and a half before my flight. My goal was jazz and everything that John Mitchell has ever written. Yes. That store, I hope it survives. I get a little more sad each time I go there. I think the community around it just isn't supporting it, but... It's not. I love Rasputin. Yeah, they're open like... Wednesday through Friday now or something. Whatever we can do to help you, Rasputin, we're yeah. here for you because I love having you around as part of the community. I dropped a lot of money. I, I help pay this month's rent. I, I do too every time I'm there. How about you? For me, the summer was kind of an adventure that didn't go the way I was expecting. So I think I talked about in the last episode of last season that I was really, really deep diving on the Ocean Collective. Oh, wow. Their new album, Holocene, came out and I was just deep diving on the back catalog. So I was listening to all this metal going and experimenting with some new bands. And then I was listening to this black metal band called Eson, which actually has a prog connection because Einar Solberg and the members of Leprous back in like the early 2000s were the backing band for Eson when he would go on tour. Oh, wow. So there was this connective tissue there, right? And then Eson and Einar Solberg during the pandemic did a cover of the song Manhattan Skyline. For those that might not know, Manhattan Skyline is a track from Norwegian pop band, Aha. Oh, wow. So then I was like, I wonder what the original version sounded like. I should not have done that because for the rest of the summer, (laughs) I was listening to 80s pop, right? 
because it was like aha and toto and then there'd be a connection from toto to michael jackson and then there'd be a connection from that to like chris isaac and then from there to neil diamond yeah that's where my music has been for a while Cool, that works so lee why don't you catch us up on some prog news from the summer sure listeners before we start if you want to hear music clips along with this news update go to the last bootleg i just posted sweet you did a really great job on that thanks while we were on hiatus over the summer and then coming up in the next two or three months, there is a lot of new music to talk about. But before all that, we just want to say our thoughts and prayers are with Al Miola. He had a heart attack on stage live, but I guess he's recovering now. Get well, dude. But in the album news, first is the new band Temek, and we are going to dive deeper into that in just a minute with Diego. Mm-hmm. New prog metal band killer lineup in this band Mm -hmm. and we'll hear some music and some more details shortly they have released two debut tracks falling away and count your losses the album drops november 17th trevor rabin one of my favorite musicians of all time is releasing a new solo album called rio coming out october 6th and he's done a couple of preview tracks push is an incredible track it's actually probably the best prog track i've heard in the last two years Can't wait for this album to come out. Earthside, their second album, Let the Truth Speak, is coming out 17th of November. New Stephen Wilson, his seventh solo album, The Harmony Codex, drops September 29th, just a couple of days prior to this episode rolling out. And uh, a couple of tracks previewing from him, but Impossible Tightrope is a great prog track. I'm really looking forward to that. Awkrust. This is the new band out of Norway that I was butchering their name all of season three. It's English spelling A-V-K-R-V-S-T, but it's pronounced Ocrust. And their album, The Approbation, came out June 16th. New Flower Kings, the 16th studio album, Look At You Now, it came out September 8th. They have 16 studio albums? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. This is the first release without Zach Kimmins on keys, unfortunately. So, Rony still did double duty on this album. Hmm. But still very strong for Flower Kings, you know, transatlantic-y, prog rock down the middle field. New District 97 is coming out October 20th. Stay for the ending. And definitely stay tuned to the podcast because I may have confirmed them for an interview. Sweet. Oh, nice. Yeah. And they've released a preview track called X-Fade. New Pattern Seeking Animals, October 27th. Spooky Action at a Distance. Mm-hmm. And they've released a preview track, Window to the World. Marius Duda, the lead from Riverside, bassist and vocalist is releasing his latest solo work, Afraid, on November 17th. I saw that. Jim Godfrey of Frost has announced they are working on a new album, which is great news. Mm-hmm. And Ray Alder of Fate's Warning and Redemption fame released his second solo album, too, Roman numeral II, on June 9th. But in the interview with him, I saw that Jim Matheos has announced there will be no new Fate's Warning music. What? And I was kind of stunned because I'm a big Fates Warning fan. And if that's true, that's the end of an era. Really, really underrated prog metal band. I agree. Rick Wegman, if you've got a deep pocketbook, has released a 32-disc box set called The Prog Years. And this is a collection of his earlier solo works like Journey to the Center of the Earth, Six Wives of Henry VIII. But it also contains alternate mixes and rehearsals and different things like that. I think it's listing for like 350 bucks. So, As someone who got into Rick Wakeman later, like myself, yeah, there's some of those things that were on vinyl that were never put on CD before or digitized in that way. And so this <laughs> may be a good way, like if you do like Wakeman, 
to go back and get older things. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, I want to close this out by saying, Peter Gabriel, when in the hell are you going to release IO? I mean, come on. I think I finally figured <laughs> Jeez, it out. Jeez. I don't think there really is an album, to be honest. If they do this, he's like brilliant at marketing. He's been doing the new moon and the full moon releases of every track. Mm-hmm. Right. That puts him on a cadence for one a month. Right. All well, year. Yeah. And if it's a 12 track album, He'll get all the way through the entire year, and then he'll just release the album, probably two versions of it, a dark side and a light side. Oh. It's certainly driving the tour. I was going to say, and the tour will have probably just wrapped up at that point. Yeah. And that's the news. Cool. Well, thank you for the news, Lee. Um, Craig, why don't you tell us about something unheard of? Thanks, Tony. We featured artists from around the world, up and coming folks, people that you may not have heard of because they're unheard of. Today, we're going local. So we're going with a Denver band by the name of Lion Tortoise. That's one word, Lion Tortoise. Progressive metal instrumental act based out of Denver. They bring a powerful stage presence for their heavy grooves and intricate guitar lines. Two guitars, bass, and drums, and it's instrumental. And it's really nice. This first clip we're going to listen to is called Photosynthesis. And the video, the production is really cool because it's them playing in a bunch of very, very Colorado mountain locales. So if you ever want to get like a feel for what it's like in the mountains of Colorado, this gives you a good feel. It's really cool. The personnel for Lion Tortoise, one of the guitar players is Jeff Riley, another one is Trent Headings, bass is Ibra Jimenez, and drums is Xander Bednall. And Clip 2 is actually the same song. If you go up on their YouTube channel, they actually have many different versions of the same song. And while the first song, production-wise, sounded great, this next one is recorded live at a place called Lion's Lair. Not sure if either of you have ever heard of Lion's Lair. It's a dive bar on Colfax, Mm -hmm. which Colfax and dive bar is often said in the same breath here in Denver. Synonymous. (laughs) Exactly. I've done stand-up at Lion's Lair a zillion times. It's really a punk bar, but they've had one of the longer-running open mics on Monday nights. This next clip, what you're going to hear is the same song, but it has a lot more tastiness. Even though it's recorded live... That's a killer mix oh, for yeah. live. Wow. It, was, it was a great mix. Just a lot more texture, mm-hmm. which I just think is really fascinating to see a song's evolution. Yeah. Right. This next one we're going to look at is called Lighthead. Again, all instrumental, but a lot of really nice guitar interplay. And what I decided to do on this one is to grab the end of the song. It shows a really nice transition from real intense kind of metally stuff to more sort of chill and fade out. And it kind of shows the dynamics that they achieve in a lot of their music.
Cool. Fade to black. I think we got to make a road trip. Yeah, I know. I, I look, they don't have any uh, shows coming up. Okay. Yeah, I was checking that out too because they are really they're really they're really unique. They kind of remind me of that band that I like out of Great Britain, the other unheard of band, Lest We Forget. Mm. Young guys, for one thing, and a lot of really tasty, unique, different guitar work. Nice. Anyway, that's Lion Tortoise for social media. You can catch them on Bandcamp. They have a YouTube channel. Just search for Lion Tortoise Band, and they have a website, liontortoise.com. So check them out and tell them you heard it here. Very cool. Back to you, Tony. Thank you very much, Craig. Lee, can you do a little bit of an intro for what we're going to have here? Sure. I have wanted to have Diego Tejeda on this show for a very long time now, over a year. So what about his playing really spoke to you? I think he really makes keyboards and prog metal stand out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very hard thing to do. Sure. Most keyboardists in prog metal are just doubling guitar lines, or they're just doing whole note pads as fills. And I found Diego's work to be much more interesting and to really catch my ear. But let's go talk to him and see what he has to say about it. In this episode, I am talking with a keyboardist that I have wanted to have on this show for quite a while now. I consider him one of the leading keyboardists in prog metal today. But you might be surprised to learn that he has many other influences and lots of interests that go beyond prog rock and prog metal. He's the former keyboardist for Haken and for Devin Townsend and Mike Portnoy's The Shattered Fortress Tour. And he's the current keyboardist for the recently announced group Timic. Please welcome to the show, Diego Tejeda. Welcome, Diego. Thank you very much, Lee. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Very busy days and very exciting times for me as well. So it's all Absolutely. Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you and I were just talking before we hit the record button. We've been DMing to try to do this interview for a while now. But you kept telling me, just wait, I've got something big to announce, not quite yet. And then you announced Temek. Holy cow. I'm really glad I waited for that. Yeah, we've been dying for the news to come out for quite some time. The whole Temek idea was first developed during the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Also being the first album for a new band, there's a lot of things besides music that needs to be addressed. You know, things like getting a label. Before that, getting a band, you know, right? the musicians. And of course, we wanted to do the right way and have a label, we'll have a management, have a booking agent. So all of those things normally take a long time. So the music was already set and ready to be released kind of thing. But, you know, we had to get all the areas ready. Right. All these things take longer than you initially uh, project, but it's finally out. So it was like, okay, thank you. Yeah, it's out. So it's very exciting. <laughs> it's, it would be okay. dying for, for this thing to go out for a long time. Yeah, definitely. So two teaser tracks released so far, Falling Away, and this one, Count Your Losses. Now, I got to tell you, I love prog metal. It's one of my favorite genres, whatever you want to call it. But one of my biggest frustrations with it is that I always find that keys are often either buried or they're just doubling guitar work, maybe doing fills and pads. I don't get that feeling with Temek at all. 
I was really happy to hear your keys are clear and distinct. Eric's guitars are clear and distinct. And you guys are not stomping all over each other in the mix. And I love that. (laughs) Believe me, I know what you're talking about. I struggled probably my whole career. And when I first started playing actual synthesizers, I was offered to join a band back in my teens. So I played piano, but never actually keyboards. And I, I always thought the keyboards were not exciting at all. Okay. Because I was used to, you know, seeing a band and all the attention, all the emotions, all the energy coming out of the guitar player, coming from the drummer, coming from the, the singer, whatever. And there was always in the back, just a little keyboard player. And I didn't even know what he was doing. And it seems like also the energy was not there as well. That's one of the things that keyboard players normally are not very animated. They just stand still. Right. And that's a thing that I really didn't want. This is a thing that I saw and I was like, oh man, that looks so boring. Like what, <laughs> what's so cool about playing keyboards? When I got introduced to some really cool keyboard players that kind of broke that stereotype, that's when I realized, okay, this is actually cool. I can actually play with it. Yeah. And Eric is an incredible musician. Absolutely. He plays guitars, he plays keyboards, he plays drums, and he's amazing on all the instruments. I wouldn't even mention I play guitars next to mentioning Eric Gillette, of course, because, you know, it's like mentioning the smallest insect compared to someone who's a monster in terms of his instrument. Right. But definitely knowing other instruments and being aware Eric is a producer as well. So his mindset is not a guitar player. And my mindset is not from a keyboard player either. So keyboard is the instrument I use to express myself or synthesizer. And Eric, in this case, and in Temic, is a guitar, is what he uses. Right. So the mentality of having a producer's uh, point of view or like a musical director, if you may, is that you're able to see and hear what the other person is doing. So you try to come up with arrangements that, as you mentioned, are not intrusive to the other instrument yep. and vice versa. So when you have something like that, you send that to the mix engineer, in this case it was Richard Mauser, <sighs> and everything works. I think that that definitely has a major role in it. So we try to be very clever as well, being only, you know, it's one guitar and one keyboard player. Yeah. What's the point of me doing the same thing the guitars are doing, right? Yep. The guitars are doing the guitar. So there's a lot of other space where I can exist and I can bend my sounds to coexist with the guitars and the vocals and the bass. So create like a more full arrangement. Yeah. That's something we're very conscious of. Yeah. It definitely comes through. And my very next question was going to be, who's the mixing engineer? Because in the last 15 years, every album that I love that has come out has Rich Mouser's name on it. Liquid Tension Experiment, Dilemma, Transatlantic, Spock's Beard. I mean, the list goes on and on. His mixes are so clean. You don't have to fight to hear the guitar or the keys of the bass. You can sit back and just pick them out. Absolutely. No, yeah, we love Rich. His sound is, as you mentioned, clean. Yes. We're thinking about who is going to mix it. And we have, you know, a couple of names in our heads. But if you send it to the hot metal producer that has this very systematic, almost industrialized way of mixing, every record sounds the same. Yeah. Producer is used to doing things this way. He does like 30 records a year. So the assistant does everything systematically, the same samples, the same everything. So your record ends up losing all the character you might have put into. Yes. And Rich is exactly the opposite, right? Rich can make like classic sounding records a more purist in terms of the sounds. If you listen to his work with Spokespear, for instance, it's a very organic drum sound. Yes. Very, very good, but completely different. You know, you put Tamek next to it and you're like, oh, is it the same guy mixing? And the answer is yes. 
That's one of the reasons why we love Rich. Is he puts the attention to every project as if his first album he's mixing. Yeah. And he's very old school in the sense of like, he does everything manually. He does things like DSing the vocals manually, or he doesn't really like to use a lot of compressors. Like the producers back in the 80s and 90s, their mixes were right in the faders as the song went along. Interesting. We send a lot of finalized things. I sent him the vocal reverbs and vocal delays as well. I was like, well, I'm hearing this. Feel free to use it. And he's like, yeah, that was good enough. I put it there. It was actually a good vibe. I maybe changed this. He really understood what sound we were going for and, of course, added his personality and added his tweaks. But yeah, we are extremely happy. His sound is pristine, it's clean, it's punchy. It's exactly what we want and not this kind of mush Yes. Just, yep. just get the guitars really loud in your face. That's what people want. Yep. Here's your standard prog metal mix, right? Exactly. So let's talk about your band a little bit for people that maybe haven't tracked it yet. Yeah. Obviously, you on keys, and you just mentioned Eric Gillette on guitar. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. I have loved Eric Gillette since seeing him on Cruise to the Edge and Prog Nation at Sea. I've seen him with Neil Morris Band, excellent guitarist, excellent multi instrumentalist. And Simon Sandness as your drummer. Yeah. I knew him from Archentype. Right. Great drummer. Absolutely. I did not know Frederick Klemp on vocals, so I did a little research and looked him up. I know he'd sing with Marathon and 22 and a couple of other bands. He also was in the region Idol, kind of like Americans Got Talent thing, but in Norway. Oh, okay. <laughs> Back in, I think, 2014. I, I found that that when, when I started working with him as well, which I, I thought was very interesting as well. He was one of the finalists on that kind of competition. And then you've got Jacob Umansky. I know he's guesting on this album, I believe. Yeah. Intervals is one of my favorite prog fusion jazz bands, but it sounds like for now he's just guesting, not permanently in the band. He's very busy with intervals, so he might be able to be available for this. We had a quick talk with Jacob and he said, well, I'm, I'm on tour, but I'm able to record this next week. I was like, good, there you go, do it. So we discussed the idea of like, well, maybe this can develop in something else, maybe not. So the relationship with him is kind of new. If he's available and if he's interested, that will be amazing. That will come with time once we have shows set. Okay. I mean, I initially talked to Eric when Temig was forming, was kind of brewing, and we wanted to get people that we know we worked with Simon before. Okay. He was with Archentype. Archentype supported Haken in, in a European tour. Right. Uh, so we would travel on the same tour bus. He also was part of the staff when we did the Shadow Fortress with Mike Pornoy tours. Right. For this band, we need to have people that are incredible musicians. That's the bare minimum. Yeah. But that's not all. And I think most people sometimes focus too much just on that. We want someone who's an incredible musician, but we need to have also amazing people that we can get along with. Oh, God, yeah. Touring, it's a very close quarter situation, right? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. We love it. I mean, the show is the best part of the, of the day, but the show is only two hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the day is <laughs> just... in the bus. Yeah, you, you don't sleep, sleep deprivation, a lot of work, a lot of physical work. Yes. Uh, it is tiring. The first week, you're very fresh, but by the second or third week, you're already kind of, <laughs> whoa. And you are sharing a bus with people that come from very different backgrounds, with very different personalities, different aspects of mental health. Yeah. So all of those things is a perfect recipe for having a bad time, right? So <laughs> if things are good, it's the opposite. It's an amazing time. Yeah. It's extremely important to know that we can bond with these people, that we can get along. Like They play good, okay, but we need to, to know this. Right. Thirdly, one of the third parts of, of the criteria for, for selecting members was that Apart from the musical aspect, they needed to have 
a whole set of extra skills that we could put to work with a band. Okay. Like Simmons be doing the one that edited the videos, uh, the music videos so far. I saw that in one of your posts. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why we have all these people doing all this extra stuff. Sometimes I think musicians are starting up or, or, you know, they're trying to form a band. They just focus so much just on the playing, which is very important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not everything. Right. Let me play the second track that you guys have released. This is Falling Away by Timic. I really found this one to be interesting. You take turns, who's going to carry the whole notes and who's going to carry the arpeggios and, you know, who's going to bring out the detail. I really like the way it kind of moves between arrangements as the song goes along. This track actually encapsulates the ethos of what we wanted for Tamix music to be. And what is that? The biggest success for me right now for these tracks that have been released is that I have friends, musicians, you know, people that know me since I was a teenager, or even my family. They follow my career, they know what I do, and they know I've been a musician and I live abroad and I was touring and all that kind of stuff. This is the first time with these tracks that they have contacted me and said, like, I really like this new track, man. I really like this Fallen Away or I really like uh, Count Your Losses. And to me, that's amazing because the aim of Temek is making interesting music for us musicians. It's interesting but not to be music for musicians. Interesting. You know, I think that's one of the things that happens sometimes with Prague, right? That Prague becomes an outlet for just showing how good you are at your instrument, right? Yeah, definitely. I feel sometimes that happens, right? Like you're like, oh yeah, well, I wrote this really cool section, but how about we play it in 1516 and then we do like a 31-32. It's the kind of thing that, Musicians are going to be like, dude, did you hear that? Did you hear <laughs> yeah. 15, 16, and 32, 32. <laughs> that is a guy who's just loving that kind of stuff, you know? And, and I was one of those, of course. And, and, you know, to a degree, I can see that. But is it musical? You know, is it relevant? Is it something that carries a song? Yes. Right? And that's something we, we discussed, Eric and I, when we started kind of talking about it. I said, like, look, I think you and I have done our fair share of just shredding. <laughs> and, like, yeah, of course. and, you know, I think probably the time I shredded the most is that tour with Mike Pornoy. Oh, my God. Like, right. that was the only time in my life that I had to practice 10 hours a day for a year. Like, yes, that was being really on top of my game. But personally, that's not something that necessarily interests me. And I never been kind of those guys that want to be showing off how fast my fingers move. I can shred if it comes to it. And I love it if it's done in the moment that is necessary. But that's not my whole vision of like, here's a solo. All right, let me just move my fingers as quickly as I can. Okay. And Eric's the same thing. I think Eric is a very, very, very competent guitar player. Like he's an absolute master of what he does. But I don't know if you heard his solo records. Yes. They're very melodic. He has moments where he goes and explores his instrument and explores, you know, more the proggy, geeky side. But he can do that. Yeah. So that was the whole idea of Tamek is just music that if you look closely, there's things that are very interesting. Like, you know, we mentioned Fallen Away, the chorus, the drums are playing a pattern in seven, 
whereas the guitars and the keyboards are playing kind of like a straight four. Okay. Then we play this cross rhythm in nine, and it only lasts for like eight bars, but that's probably the most difficult part of the song. Cross rhythm in nine and seven, I don't exactly remember the numbers, but some prime numbers, of course, because prog. Yeah. <laughs> but the, for the naked listener, for the people who just are like, oh, it's a good music, what comes out is the vocal melody, the harmonies. Yes. If you look close, it's interesting. If you look away, it's good. That's interesting because I found your influences to be very interesting towards this exact discussion. Mm -hmm. Because you list Nirvana, Pink Floyd. There's some normal bands I would expect to see out of a rock keyboard player like you. But you've got some very experimental stuff listed like Boards of Canada Mm, and Infected Mushroom. And I I knew a little bit about Boards of Canada, but I had to go look up Infected Mushroom. I had never heard that before. (laughs) And then you've also got Bill Evans listed. Mm. I know a lot of keyboardists that don't even know who Bill Evans is. You put Wendy Carlos, Vangelis, Vince DiCola. You've got a lot of experimental, almost, I want to call them soundscape people. You know, people that are just interested Mm -hmm. in creating a sound off of a keyboard instead of 90 mile an hour shredding like you're talking about. Absolutely. hundred percent. Last week, I found the Endless River. Uh, Pink Floyd. And uh, I was just listening to Endless River. And I'm like, I just love Rick Wright. I, I, to me, is like my spirit animal in that sense. Okay. His sounds were absolutely incredible. He's one of those guys that if you mute it, like the whole track feels like kind of just very tiny and small, right? And just like you mentioned, Ports of Canada and the main element of Ports of Canada is the sound design and yes. almost impressionism of creating these landscapes and, and not necessarily focusing so much on the musical aspects of like, what skills are you playing? It's an element, but it's not the focus. The focus is the sounds, right? Right. And I mentioned Infected Motion, which is very energetic, almost EDM, but they've done a lot of experimental stuff too. Yes. They are probably one of my strongest sound design influences in, in how they do stuff. And it's super interesting reading interviews and how they make these sounds and all that. Kind of stuff. And Bill Evans, I didn't know about Bill Evans either. When I found out about Bill Evans is when I moved to England and I was uh, studying music, when I actually started my formal training at uni. And, you know, all the keyboard players were all about Harry Hancock and Oscar Peterson and what are, you know, and Steve Wicker. And to me, that never resonated. That was going towards the area of a keyboard player that I didn't like. Yeah. I mean, I respect, of course, you know, Harry Hancock and I can appreciate what he does from an academic point of view, but doesn't resonate within me. Okay. Bill Evans, I absolutely adore his playing, especially his solo playing and all these vast textures that he was able to create on the piano. Rootless voicing, they're called. That's one of the biggest discoveries for me in my playing nowadays from him. I can barely understand what he did in soloing. I mean, I, I still study. I mean, every day I'm still studying jazz. I'm not a jazzer, but I love jazz. Then I can barely scratch the surface of what everything he did. But I really love how he expressed music. He was very focused on harmony. And of course, he soloed, but his harmonies and, and this really rich textures he created are something that really grabbed me because it goes kind of in the same direction of creating a soundscape. Yes. I think most of the influences I mentioned have this element of landscape, uh, soundscape, you can say. Yeah. And that's a perfect lead into your solo EP Phantasm I found on Bandcamp. Right. It's three works for acoustic grand piano, and it's beautiful. That recording, I did that in England. It's a whole record, actually. I think it was eight tracks. But I was never happy with the sound. Okay. And I'm talking about the piano sound on the day of the recording. 
the piano was this very bright sounding piano. Okay. These tracks I wrote were meant to focus a lot on the dynamics, kind of going to the Philip Glass vibe. At that point in particular, I was obsessed with Philip Glass and his way of playing. Okay, because for me, Three Fates has that kind of a feel to it. Here's a clip of Three Fates from Diego's solo EP, Phantasm. So Three Fades, I recorded that track and also placed a microphone towards my mouth because my breathing was part of the pulse. Wow. So when I was practicing this whole track, so it was just like me trying to get the breath. It's almost like a sound design element, like an LFO almost. Nice. But I wanted a kind of a jazz piano, like a Steinway that has more kind of warm sound. Yeah. Push it enough, you get a bright sound, but you know, you have this whole range of dynamics. Yeah, yeah. But the felt on the hammers were very worn out. Okay. So for many years, I tried to mix it once, tried to mix it twice, tried different techniques, and I was just not happy with it. And I just lived under the lie that I was going to re-record it one day. And then I thought like, look, this is a pandemic. It's time to move. A lot of things changed for me. Okay. I'm just going to put out there three songs, just mostly for me to leave a record that those tracks existed. Speaking of all this, I know that you got married in January to Katie Pagnos. Yeah. Congratulations. And you two co-wrote a song for the wedding. I believe you posted that. Yeah, yeah. But I also went and listened to her Prog Metal Harp album, Volume 1, and she does great covers of some of my favorite bands. One of the standout ones for me was Wait for Sleep by Dream Theater. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Katie is a phenomenal writer. Uh, She actually, for the Temic record, she helped a ton with lyrics. Okay. She actually wrote the majority of one song that was called uh, Acts of Violence. She's an editor and proofreader that was just for a living. So her command of language is absolutely highest level. And yeah, so Katie's an incredible musician. When we got married, we decided that we didn't want to subject our guests to see us kind of pretend to dance because we're terrible dancers <laughs> for three, four minutes. And we decided just to write something, which I, we thought it was more honest. Good. So we met through music and music, of course, has been the major point of reference for us. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Looking back through your discography, we talked about the Phantasm EP. Right. The first time I caught you, you were playing for Haken. Yeah, yeah. Got to see you on Cruise to the Edge twice. Yeah. Six studio albums in that time. And here's an example. This is Atlas Stone from the Mountain. Haken in 2019, and then you do a couple of albums and some touring with Devin Townsend. Correct. And I'm curious to hear what that was like 
just listening to Devin Townsend, that always strikes me kind of as a, a massive wall of sound. What is it like touring when playing with him as a keyboardist? Yeah, I mean, that was a big challenge for me. At some point, I even got some comments, you know, have some people, again, from the prog world that, you know, you're not playing 17, 16, so it's not difficult. Right. Devin, for those tours, the one in America is a scaled down version of the band that was in Europe. In Europe was a big band. It was like okay. 10 people on stage. And that was called Order of Magnitude. When I first approached Devin, I knew about his work. I knew he was trying to do things differently. For the, the tours I did with him, initially he said he was going to be like using some backing tracks and stuff. And I said, well, look, one of the things I can be proud of is that I'm able to do a lot of stuff. I'm a sound designer, but also a player. So I tried to kind of find a good balance where I can try to replicate faithfully the album as much as I can. But I know your music has a ton of stuff. So he started sending me the projects and my God, keyboards were a ton. So, you know, Devin told me, take out what you're going to play and then just leave whatever you feel is important for the backing track. But, okay, cool. Okay. And a couple of months later, Devin was doing his acoustic solo shows and Morgan came on stage and did a little jam with him. Morgan Agron, the drummer, incredible drummer, incredible dude. I love him. He realized that he really liked that sound. And in fairness, Morgan is an incredible drummer. One of those drummers that you don't want to confine to a click track because you're taking away part of his expression. You know, he's one of those drummers. Right. So he said, look, I, I think we're going to play without a click track. I almost had like a heart attack for a little moment. <laughs> but it was an incredible challenge for me because, yes, if you take away the individual parts, they're relatively simple. Okay. But then when you start combining all the parts that are happening at the same time, it's just this incredibly difficult yes. plot of things because not only the sounds, you have to figure out how you're going to play them with your, you know, two feet and, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and triggering samples and, so it was a lot of programming, a lot. But I, I'm very proud of, of, you know, if you do those records, uh, there's no backing track. You know, everything that's keyboard, it's coming from my area. In a couple of tracks, uh, uh, Mike Neely was doing some extra keyboards on, on his uh, Triton. Right. But, you know, all of these little sounds and delays and all this crazy stuff, I was doing that live. That is crazy. I'm going to play Genesis, and this is from Order of Magnitude, and this is live. Diego with Devin Townsend. There's a particular one track that's called Why. Okay. That track was almost 90% orchestra. So that was probably the most difficult track I ever played in my life in terms of having to play everything. And I think even Devin mentioned that on, on the release of that track. So like kudos for Diego to making an orchestra just for four limbs. Jeez. Let's play Why from Order of Magnitude again. This is live. Diego Tejeda with Devin Townsend.
learned a lot from him. I, I, I still do, you know, because after that, I work with him on his latest record, Light Work. That's right. And the one before The Puzzle, which yep. was an experimental track. And he's so creative and so proficient and so productive. Yeah. So he's definitely someone I inspired to be like, you know, in terms of how productive he is. I still don't understand it, how he does it, because for me, it's also almost like out of this world, how he can create something of such good quality in so little time. But, you know, it's kind of a utopia for me. I don't know if I will get there, but at least it's something to to realize, oh, it is possible. You can be yes. productive like that. And it is possible. Also around this time, you do the Shattered Fortress tour. And for listeners that don't know what that is, Mike Portnoy put together a touring group of musicians playing five songs off of five Dream Theater albums that are collectively known as the 12-Step Suite. Right. It's a very personal tour and journey for Mike because it's about his journey back to sobriety. And I believe the most important part of that to this story is that's where you and Eric Gillette meet. Yes. And I found this quote that you gave to... Jorge Pozo from Sonic Perspectives that I found really interesting where you said, the kind of music I hear today has almost nothing to do with Prague. There are more experimental aspects. Minimalist composers such as Philip Glass has many elements of experimental electronics right now. That's what I like to listen to. I'd like to open up a space outside the Prague world and the discipline of practicing eight hours a day to something that is more focused on the Sonic Perspective. And it almost sounds like that's kind of the stepping stone you're talking about now to Temek. Is that the right way to interpret that? Absolutely. It has been a transformation for me as well. So two parts of what you're saying. Like the first part, yes. That was the first time we, we toured together. Eric and I hit it off. Musically, of course. I love his playing, but also I love, again, how aware he is. Yes. But being on stage, and if I was playing a solo, I remember he would actually look at me. You know, and that's the thing you don't see every time, you know? Okay. Some musicians don't even have the full band on their mix, right? They're like, no, no just, just give me my guitar and, and that's it. You know, don't give me the vocal. Yeah. Click and give me, give the me you know, and, and my guitar. That's it. You know, and, and Eric is one of those guys who's very aware of what's happening. I think that's, to me, that's a key for a good musician. Okay. Because then you can, you know, bounce off each other. You can actually interact with the person. Okay. That was kind of the beginning. And it was a lot of fun, as I mentioned. I never fully explored my possibilities to that extent when it came to shredding than when I did those tours. Yeah. And on the other hand, for the last few years, I mean, I'm probably now seven years, six or eight years, I kind of started getting in touch with myself too, musically, because in many ways, when I moved to England, I played with this progressive band, progressive death metal band, decided to really delve into what I was studying. So I get I got really into jazz. I was playing a lot of jazz. I was playing a lot of funk. Then I went to study also more in depth uh, sound design and, and the college I went to, my teachers were DJs or electronic music producers that didn't necessarily know anything about music theory, okay. but they knew a lot about sounds, LFOs, uh, frequencies, how a compressor works. So I really went into that route too. So I started really experimenting with electronic music and I found it that it also uh, called my name, you know, doing all those things. And in this path, I retired from Progressive. I was not playing prog rock. And for one reason or the other, I ended up auditioning for Haken. They, they contacted me 
And I was kind of hesitant because I was like, ah, I'm kind of done with this. I, I don't, I don't want to play this. But you know, I guess it was kind of in my genes. I don't know, like how I was just called into it and I auditioned and, and you know, I, I made it through. And that was in 2009. So during that time, it was mostly me trying to kind of, okay, so I know this language. I know how it's spoken in terms of what pro progressive it is, right? So right. it was easy to get into that stuff. But then at the same time, I was having all these interests that were going in different directions. And I tried to incorporate. There's so much you can do when you have a very defined direction of, of what's happening, right? Yes. Back in, I think, 2017, after the Shire Fortress tour, that's when I started getting a lot of analog stuff and just making sure like my studio was working and started doing jams. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to jam, see what happens. And I was doing a lot of experimental, more towards the electronic music direction. And, and I was like, oh, wow, this is me now. I didn't even realize this is what I'm doing. So... It's been all this time to kind of realize where I am at musically okay. and what my sound is in the sense of like, oh, this is me being honest, not trying to conform to a language that, okay, so I know how this is done. So I'm able to kind of comply the rules of, of this genre of music and I'm able to do it, but doesn't necessarily has my full heart. Yeah. When I'm seeing what I'm actually doing now and jamming and, and, and I say, oh, this is it. This is. This is where I am. This is where my heart is right now. Very nice. I think electronic music sometimes is a bit of a taboo or like a dirty word with uh, musicians, particularly pro musicians, right? Because they're like, oh yeah, everything's on with a computer, right? You just press a button. Yeah. And that's been going on since the 60s, you know, since like, uh, Carlos Wendy or... Yeah, started out as Walter Carlos, but had sex reassignment and became Wendy Carlos. But you know, I was reading about that and that was the first time... It was all these, all these purists saying like, yeah, no, electronic music is not even music, like synthesizer. That's just a joke, but it's not a real instrument, right? And there was the first time that, you know, with that, uh, switched on back. Yes. The first time is a, he was a big middle finger to all of these people saying like, look, I'm making music and I'm playing classical music with this joke of an instrument. Yes. I think that mentality has prevailed a lot still. So for me, it was also being like, well, but I actually like this stuff. I like this kind of music. And yeah, you know, crucify me. But that's, that's kind of what I like, what, where my heart is. Good for you. I kind of accepting that. All right. That also leads to this. Sorry, listeners, but I have studio envy of Diego's bunker, his home studio. <laughs> You're the Arturia man. You've got the Keylab 88. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got the Polybrute, uh, the Matrix Brute, the Microfreak. I started seeing Arturia keyboards. I think with Archeco. And I just got through watching Vola the other day live and they're carrying Arteria. I am really getting impressed with this set of keyboards and watching some of your playthroughs, you really use the Arterias quite a bit. Yeah. First of all, I love them. And with all these instruments, I work very closely with the sound design and, you know, the Polybrid, for instance, I, I worked as a beta tester and also I've done hundreds of sounds for it. Yeah. Matrix Brute as well. I just love how they sound and people think like, well, yeah, well, you work for them. You're saying that. It's like, no, like I honestly, that's the reason why I'm so happy with them. The Matrix, for instance, is my favorite synthesizer. And it's not only because how it sounds, but it's just the way it's laid out. It becomes part of your expression. It becomes so, you internalize the layout and how it works that when I'm actually having a jam on the, on the heat of the moment, and dial a sound in no time because I know where everything is. So it, everything's just very yeah. simple and it kind of really interacts well with the way I think and my workflow. In the world, most people, you know, default to normal brands like Cork, Roland, you know, that's kind of the big guys. Yeah, yeah. The great instruments, you know, my wife has a Kronos. 
I just hate trying to program a sound there because it's like a little screen and you have to go through little menus and you have, you know, what I do with Arturia is just, they put a lot of attention in not only the sound, but the experience of the instrument. So that's the reason why they're incredible instruments. Nice. Um, yeah, I watched Jim Godfrey have to reboot a Korg workstation live. Seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I was watching Linux boot for seven minutes. I know you've got a DX7. It was nice to see that. I love it. Reaching back. But I got to tell you, man, the one that really turned me on was the Rolly Seaboard. Oh, yeah. That blew me away because not only does it have regular action, it can also glide going east and west between keys. But I also watched you do pitch bend by going north and south on a key. Yeah. That seems so intuitive. And I had never seen a keyboard um, manufacturer even think of doing it that way. Yeah, it's, it's a great instrument. I think that to really unlock the true potential of that instrument is to program your own sounds. Oh, wow. Because, you know, it comes with some uh, sense. It comes with one called uh, Equator, I believe, when you, you get the seaboard from Rolly. And it's a good synth, but, you know, first of all, I never use presets. That's just a thing. Yeah, I yeah. Never, only yeah. use my own patches. Right. But secondly, they're very bombastic, you know, and then and something very easy to get out of control. You know, it's the kind of sound oh, yeah, that you, yeah. in a music show, people will be like, oh my God, what yeah, is yeah. that? Right. But when you try to use it on the mix, you try to it on the record, it's like, oh my God, this is just gets out of control. <laughs> right. And you, know, you end up doing nothing. Really, you, I use it more because I, I think at some point also the seaboard was used more as a kind of a flash factor, right? Like, uh, yeah, I use it like a, a tool in the full extent of the word. You know, when I put something in the seaboard is for a reason. And uh, it's just basically how expressive that exactly. is. Exactly. Yep. So you can really play super, super expressive sounds and make, you know, if you make your sounds expressive enough, you can interpret those sounds with a seaboard. And, you know, you can do things that are impossible to do in any other synthesizer, in yes. any other kind of controller. You know, the closer you would get might be the CS80 from Yamaha, the have polyphonic aftertouch. And, you know, if you have a spare $13,000 to buy yeah, one yeah. of those second hand, you can get one of those. Yeah, right. But that was just a polyphonic aftertouch. This guy has much more he has, as you mentioned, the independent <sighs> pitch band, which yes. is it's super expressive, but also... It requires a ton of practice. It's very easy to start sounding like crap if you don't know how to position your hands properly. You start bending kind of weird things. So it takes right. a while. I love it. It's, it's a great tool, definitely. And then I want to bring this up to a lot of our keyboard listeners. You use a lot of stomp boxes. Yeah. You've got the the Boss Metal Zone, TC Electric Impulse, Eventide, the H9, TC Electric Sender. Do you just find that that gives you a lot more flexibility live to be able to go to a stomp box rather than, you know, trying to program your mod wheel or whatever it is to, you know, to get differences in sound? Or does it even come from you being able to play guitar a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I think both. Uh, but like, it's a different story. So when I'm playing live, I need to kind of pack. I mean, even believe it or not, I try to downsize, even though my rig is just ridiculous. Yeah. But when I'm in the studio, to me, the most important thing is the sound. Yes. As part of my workflow, and as I told you for the last, since I started kind of working with analog synthesizers, I started kind of being outside of the box. Okay. So now most of the stuff I do is outside of the box. I use some plugins, some some software synthesizers, but for a specific reason. It, like there's no hardware synthesizer that does that. Then I will go for, you know, maybe pigments or if I want like an orchestral, you know, sample library, I will just contact or whatever. Right. 
But, you know, when I'm in the studio, I want to have the sound the way it's going to be. Yes. I spend a lot of time before when I was recording the record and doing a lot of sounds in the box and then not committing and then like, you know, leaving everything that tracks life. And I don't like that because if I don't commit to something, then I don't put a lot of attention in every step. Whereas if I am recording something, I'm recording a part. All right, so I have my sound on my synthesizer, then I feel like it needs a little bit of distortion. All right, just plug in one of my pedals, yeah. which one I have. So also keeps you choices of every element you choose is going to add a tiny different personality, almost different characters. Okay, I'm going to use maybe the metal zone, which is a dirty work between guitarists, but it's actually great for keyboards. Yeah. And maybe I need some delay. Well, I want one of those pitch shift delay. I'm going to use my Yamaha SBX. And so I spend a long time getting my sound right. Okay. And making sure like it works in the track and making sure maybe after I record, I need a bit of a high pass filter and I do that. But the main point is like my sound is right. So once my sound is right, it also forces me to get it right, record it and forget about it. So, yeah. and also when you have a full sound, you play differently. So when your sound is complete and you perform according to the sound. Yeah. So because the distortion is giving you information. The way you play the sound is also 100% a reflection of what you're hearing. That makes sense. Yeah, so Diego, let's close this out. Going back to Tamek, first of all, I, you're here. I assume you didn't fall off the roof while the volcano was erupting. When <laughs> I did see that post and you're like, what do you think I'm doing? I think you're doing a new video for Tamek, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So new track coming out soon. I look forward to yeah, that. Yeah, surely. First day of uh, October. Awesome. And then the album comes out November 17th. Correct. Terror Management Theory. Very much Correct. looking forward to that. I'm hoping like heck that there are tours on the horizon. I assume you're working out details right now. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I will be front and center for that. The last thing we do, Diego, on the show is we ask our guests that we interview to name two or three things that they're listening to so people can hear recommendations other than, you know, just what the three of us say. What are you listening to? Polynation. Polynation. Polynation, that's the name of the artist. At the name of the rap. Igneous? Okay. That's a great album. That's definitely a great album. Okay. Igneous. Got it. And definitely Rival Consuls as well. Absolutely beautiful. I think it's Persona, the album I like. Yeah, Persona. It's also a new record called Now Is, which is also very good. I'm probably going to recommend that one too. Okay. Uh, yeah, good. Rival Consuls is probably one of my favorite sound design artist it's super interesting it's not edm it's just very interesting music very interesting use of sounds and the third one i will recommend ochre o-c-h-r-e mm -hmm. uh, the name of the album i would recommend um any of the albums are good but i would say beyond the outer loop beyond the outer loop okay i'm sure probably your listeners haven't listened to any of this stuff so you know something different that's what i want so diego Thank you so much. So good to get with you. This was great. I had a blast. I hope you did. Yeah, that was great. I'm glad we finally made it happen. Yes. So wait, but I think it was worth it. Absolutely. Okay. And I will see you when Tamek starts touring and uh, looking forward to that. Thank you very much, Lee. Take care. Cool, Lee. That was a really that great interview. Awesome. I learned a whole oh lot about Diego. <laughs> Even more further elevated my opinion of him and can't wait for the Temek record to I know, come out. Me too. I thought it was cool where he talked about playing a concert is really just two hours and you got to live with these guys. Yeah. And that's yep. how bands live and die. Yes. You know, you're on the same tour bus or staying at the same hotel. That's a lifestyle, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, him saying that number one had to be musicianship, obviously. But number two had to be you get along with this person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked how much he went on about soundscapes. Yes. Mm, yeah. That's definitely something I've talked about in the past that really resonates with me. And then I wouldn't check out his recommendations. I'm going to go buy every single one of these albums that he just recommended. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one of his big emphasis was Bill Evans. Mm hmm. Mm hmm how much that's influenced his work. Mm -hmm. Even though I think most of the audience would relate to him as a prog metal keyboardist, it really informs a lot of what he's done and what he's doing in the future. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I'm really glad we were able to get him on the show. It was really, really, really well done. great. Good job. Thanks. And thank you again, Diego. Yeah, thanks, Diego. Absolutely. As we exit for this month, don't forget you can find us on Instagram and Twitter slash X at UP3show. Or on Mastodon. Nobody wants to call that X. Have you noticed that? I know. No. It's all. It's it's like Prince. It you know, is like the, Prince. The artist like, formerly known really? as Prince. <laughs> Let's not feed the bears. You can also find us, and this is probably the preferred place going forward, at UP3show on the Mastodon.social server. Yeah. Or you can contact us via email at UP3show at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear from you. If you want to show us some support, it's super easy. As I say every time, you can support us non-financially by subscribing on Podbean at up3show.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcast. Also, please take a moment to hit the like button or leave a review. This helps to make sure that the show pops up whenever people search for it. And if you would like to support us financially, we would love it. This is basically a, a passion project for us, and you can help keep the lights on by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash up3show. If you throw a few coins our way, make sure that we can pay for things like hosting and keeping the episodes out there forever. Uh, so thank you guys very much, and we will talk to you next month. Bye. Awesome. Hey, folks. Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting everything you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We make no claim of copyright to any of the music featured in our samples and strongly recommend that you support the artists we talk about by buying their albums and merchandise or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together.